My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, property investory listeners. Taran Shum here. I wanted to tell you about a new property podcast that I'm super excited about. It's called Think Big Property, where I have millions of questions about property development and my co-host, Nyong Nyon, has made millions of dollars from it. I think you'll really like it. So, I want to play the first episode for you. You can binge all the rest of the episodes on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Here it is, the very first episode of the Think Big Property Podcast. Yes, there are ups and downs and uh, blockages and, and you know sometimes you may not know that if you're going to get a result but as you do more and more deals, you build up your confidence. This is the Think Big Property Podcast where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this first episode, we're going to be talking about the right mindset you need to have to be a successful property developer, how the people around you can influence how much you earn, the importance of mentorship and the role a mentor can play throughout your property journey and much, much more. Have you ever thought about how property developers make insane amounts of profit and what that allows them to do? Mindset is a key foundational principle to enable young aspiring property developers or investors to be successful. In this first episode, Nyong Nguyen and I share some advice on how you can build a successful property portfolio. I'm really, really excited to be joining this podcast. I know it's the uh, first episode that we've recorded ever. I know you've done a lot of podcasts. I personally haven't. I've done a, a lot of uh, live presentations and doing this podcast to thousands and thousands of people is really exciting to be able to share my message. Um, and it, I suppose the story is not just about me. It's about what's possible for people and, and listeners on this podcast. Um, you know, when I started out um, my, in property, you know, I bought my first property, but I literally ran out of money after buying my first property. And, and that was a big challenge. For me, um, growing up, we weren't uh, wealthy at all. You know, my parents came over from Vietnam in, in 1975 um, after the Vietnam War. Having a surname like Nguyen is very much a giveaway of being uh, Vietnamese. And, you know, we, all we knew was hard work and uh, my parents uh, didn't even speak English. They had to learn how to speak English in Australia. They met in Australia. And, you know, my, my journey through property, um, yeah, I suppose is a story about um, you know, a refugee family growing up. I, I was born in Australia, but yeah, we definitely had to go through uh, some hardship to be able to save up deposits. Um, my parents putting me through uh, private schools, um, not because anything other than to, to get a good education and potentially 
create some financial uh, independence, right? But um, yeah, it wasn't quite what I'd planned to do. I, I really didn't uh, plan to become a doctor. It was something that my parents had encouraged me to do and uh, I failed my way through. <laughs> so um, yeah, so there's, you know, um, I could share a little bit more, but I, I think, yeah, the basics of it is that yeah, my parents um, yeah, didn't have much. I failed uh, my entrance exams to, to medical school, not once, but twice. I actually got a score of 97, which people think is pretty cool, but it was actually a score of 48 and 49 out of 100, two years in a row. So, um, but the thing, you know, from there was I realized that I love doing deals. I love doing deals. I read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, over the years, uh, while I was actually um, at uh, post high school, and, and I fell in the love with the possibility of making money with money. I wasn't sure exactly what that was going to be, whether it was going to be through shares, whether it was going to be through property, whether it's through business. I tried this and I tried that, and, and a lot of things failed, especially in my late teens in terms of business. But finally, when I was in my 20s, I realized, yep, property is the gig. And, and, and that's why I want to share this message with people because I know that. Um, there's so much opportunity out there. You're just going to find a vehicle that's congruent with you uh, and your risk profile and the resources you have. What's amazing is you've done so much in sh- such a short period of time. Maybe just going to give a backstory about how you got into property development and what you've achieved in that. I know this podcast is about property development and how to minimize the amount of mistakes in property and how to make the most profit in property. I think for myself, when I started out, I didn't have a plan become a property developer. It was one of those things that became a natural progression from the deals that I did. So uh, when I started out, I was, my goal as a 20, 21-year-old was I wanted just 200 properties. I made up this crazy goal. I was listening to a bit of yeah, John Burley and Robert Kiyosaki and not knowing what was really possible, you know, when you're a child and you've got kids, you ask them what they want to achieve and, and they'll say stuff like, you know, change the world or uh, create world peace or, or something that is such a huge game that you really don't know what's possible or not because you haven't been constrained. So, um, but my point is that, yeah, when I was 21, uh, I bought my first property and because I had momentum and I had a big dream of buying 200 properties, um, I bought another property um, two months after that uh, using investors' money. It was actually my dad. He uh, lent me uh, the money for the deposit. I was borrowed the rest from the bank. And then the third deal, um, I was able to get a money partner to fund that third deal, no money down. So by the time I was 21, turning 22, uh, within about four to six months of uh, getting the game going with my first deal. I'd bought three properties. Um, Haven't quite hit the 200 uh, deal mark yet, but I'm not too concerned about that. Um, But yeah, it's a a beautiful, beautiful um, challenge uh, along the way. Uh, And that was the start of my journey. I've done probably 100 property transactions since then. I don't think we're going to cover all those deals on this particular podcast, but that that that's the start of it. And you know, that, that, those first three deals presented those uh, their own challenges of making a lot of mistakes um, and learning lessons, which paved the way for a, a lot of the opportunities in the future. So, out of those hundred transactions, how much would you say that's all been worth in terms of its deals done, and and you know, I guess what have all those deals been like? In terms of those hundred property transactions has been a combination of, um, let's say, townhouses that were bought, renovated and strata titled. I did, I think just off the top of my head, about 23, 24 townhouses uh, in a city called Mackay, which is North Queensland. Uh, A whole stack of them have been uh, land subdivisions, which I still do today. I'm working on a 30 lotter 
currently on the Brisbane south side. Um, and just a whole chunk of this and that, you know, buying, uh, buying land, building houses, selling them off. I've done, I think I did about 20 of those. Um, a lot of them, like I mentioned, were land subdivision projects or put and call options, which is a, an advanced strategy where you might buy off the plan off a developer buy wholesale and sell retail. So yeah, there's a bit of a mix mash in that. I suppose that the bigger picture, when I started out in my 20s, I had a, a mentor and I still do, his name's Ling. Um, he was doing blocks of 20 apartments at any one time. That was his strategy. You know, he'd buy a block of land already with approval, build them, sell them within a 12, 24 month period, make about $2 million. And I wanted to copy that model. So uh, in my journey, actually, from uh, where I was to where I am now, it was part of it was modeling on his model and learning how do I become a developer like him. And, and even though I'm not doing apartments right now, necessarily, I've learned a whole stack along the way. Uh, part of my journey was learning how to build houses. For example, I wanted to learn how to do construction. So I, I did a whole stack of houses there, um, five here, four there, three here, and built some houses. Then at another stage, I was wanting to learn how to do strata titling. So that's when I, the opportunity for Mackay to buy blocks of townhouses and strata the title them came along. That was another strategy. So yeah, my point is that the deals that I've done were part of a bigger picture that was provided to me by a mentor and I followed that path and created my own path. You know, everyone's got their own journey. Everyone's got their own outcomes. Um, and becoming a developer, you, you always need role models. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of mentoring and mentoring others as well as being mentored. I have a handful of mentors myself. Even now, you know, people might think, well, you've got money now, you've got success, you've got the skill set. Why do you need mentors? But, well, everybody needs mentors in whichever part of their life that they want to get better at or improve or you know, maintain opportunities and mastery of it. I, I think you know, once you've hit a goal, it doesn't mean that you're done. You know, if you look at some of the um, gold medalists at any sport, whether it's swimming, uh, basketball, tennis, pick a gold medalist, they're not done um, with that sport because they love it, they're passionate about it and they want to keep doing it and getting better at it because there's always new distinctions. In a property marketplace, the market's always changing. So if you're not at the cutting edge of what's happening, what's working, what's not working, you know, in, in three to six months' time, essentially you can lose momentum, uh, you can lose opportunity, you can miss out on deals just because you don't know exactly what's happening. I guess the main thing was hearing from you, Young, and also learning from you as a mentor, it kind of just sparked the reason why we put this podcast together because there's so much synergy here and I guess I've got like a, a ton of questions to be able to ask you. You know, you've made millions from property development and I've got like millions of questions to ask you and that's probably how this podcast came together so that way we could actually share this amazing content with all our listeners out there. And um, I guess my, my journey in terms of how I, I met you as well, Young, was that I reached out to you on, 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 um, one of the, on our podcast at Property Investory and we're able to actually connect and share your story there and with such a great amount of exposure and so many people listening to your podcast, people said, I want to learn more about property development and I myself as well wanted to, I guess, wanted to learn more from you and that's the reason why we put this podcast together was because there's so much that can be taught and also learned from property development from a person like yourself and my journey really, really starts here with you. I'm so inspired by you know, the work that you've done uh, with your property investory 
uh, podcast. Uh, there's so much information and so many good stories out there. I think one of the things that I really want to make a difference to people in these podcasts is not only just share information, but also give people, um, as we've discussed, the opportunity to take action and take action and, and give tips on you know, how to learn on the job, so to speak, on their journey as a property investor, as a developer. And, and so, yeah, and, and so I find being a property investor and being a developer, like, you don't have to rush and become a property developer. You don't have to rush and start, you know, knocking down houses and subdividing blocks. You know, if people just learn from this podcast how to save 50 grand on their next property purchase because they buy it from a motivated seller, you know, I believe my job's done. Uh, I really want to help people uh, learn about the ins and outs of property because um, there's so much conflicting information out there. Um, I want to make sure that this information is unbiased and as your experience with me is that you'll know I'm very, very blunt at times and you know, making money through property can be challenging, but it's very, very rewarding and being a developer might just be a, a natural progression for people who you might have done buy and hold for three to five years or you've been, you might have two or three properties that just are underperforming that you want to get an extra you know, $500,000 a week or twenty-five dollars to $50,000 a year and squeeze that extra juice out of it. I, I just believe in excellence and I believe in being uh, the best that you can be. Uh, if, if people are driving to work, listening to this and they're frustrated with their job, maybe you want to quit your job in the next 6, 12, 24 months. What I wanted to ask you as well is we've been having constant conversations back and forth with a number of things as well and I guess one of the things we've kind of touched on is why this podcast but you know, at the beginning of the year as well, you had pretty much a, a, a big wake-up call and it, it kind of also, you know, you shared with me that you wanted to do something even greater and that's the reason one of it but maybe share with the audience what happened in that during that time. Earlier in the year, I had a bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say an incident, but I had an operation. Um, in 2008 and 2012, I started to get this lump in my neck and you know, admitted to hospital at that time, 2008. And the doctor was a bit concerned, but it went down after a while, bit of antibiotics. And the lump, if you can imagine, get a, um, a boiled egg, put it in your mouth. That's the size of, of the lump that was in my neck earlier this year. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And initially, I wasn't too concerned because I'd had it before and it was going up and down, up and down and dissolving it at times. But then earlier in the year, it stopped um, shrinking. So it kept getting bigger and bigger. And there was a one point, it was quite rock hard. So imagine a golf ball on the side of my neck which I went and saw a doctor, they didn't have any ideas, saw another GP, didn't have any ideas, and then sent me to the specialist. And the specialist um, was not sure what it exactly was either. He thought it was 50-50 this or 50-50 that. But within six days from me seeing him on the Wednesday, within six days, I was on his operating table on the following Tuesday getting this lump cut out. And, and so why it was scary for me is, from a financial independence point of view, I wasn't too concerned, but I believe, you know, that, that I just have such a big message to share with people in terms of um, what's possible. You know, I quit my job by the age of 24, financially independent in my 20s, and so a lot of people I know uh, in the, around the place want to quit their jobs and and spend more time with their families. They want to go on holidays without having to think about the price tag or drive cars that they really want, or you know, be able to give presents to their kids that, or, or put. Um, be at the kids through private schools or, or just cut the stress of their wife having to work a second or third job. So 
I believe that, yeah, through that wake-up call, it just reminded me of, you know, why I'm put on this earth and it's to share uh, this message. I am Christian, uh, Catholic background, don't hold that against me. Um, but, yeah, being great, uh, raised in, with family values to, to be sh- generous and share with people what's possible out there. That's part of my calling and, and that's why I'm putting my energy into this podcast because it means I can reach thousands and thousands of people and, and share this message because I know that a lot of people will resonate with my story. And, and be able to take action and get some great results from it too. And that's the thing. We both have very similar values in that sense that we're both Christian and also we want to be able to help and give back to the rest of the world and to be able to impact thousands and thousands of people as well, not necessarily just through only this podcast but the things that we can do in many ways. And that's why I think we put this podcast together in that sense because no matter where we go, I think you know God will touch presence for, for where whatever we do as well and impacts in some way, shape or form and it's just a matter of, I guess, people wanting to to hear what we've got to say as well too, even though we might not have too much to say at times as well. It's just a reminder again of my mission here and also the the property stuff that I do. You know, Robert Kiyosaki has often talked about creating passive income and having more passive income in your expenses and, you know, in my instance, that's why I started out in property as well, reading the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and taking the baton from Robert Kiyosaki back when I was even 19, I heard him speak at the convention center and I said, look, I want to do that. I want to help people in a way, but I can't teach financial independence um, until <laughs> I'm financially independent myself. So it took a few years of doing that and, um, and being able to teach that. And, and now I've got you know, thousands of students who I've taught help make money through property um, and I want to reach out and continue that journey um, as well as build my ongoing passive income as well every year i want to be adding 5 10 20 tenants to my portfolio that that's my game i'm working on some buildings at the moment we'll come back to to that content later in the podcast but yeah every year i'm wanting to accumulate property develop property buy sell buy some sell some keep some and, and there'll be some recurring themes that people will find over the podcasts uh, i think one of the beautiful things is technology these days. If you think about 20 years ago, the technology for the podcast and the streaming and the free stuff, it's just its just amazing. But some of the challenges, you don't know what's good, what's genuine, what people's agendas are, um, and, and just being generous is my one of my values as well, giving as much as I can uh, to be able to help people and uh, help them on their journey. Because uh, you know, I've had a lot of help along the way. I've had mentors help me along the way um, and I want to help other people as well. It's interesting because as you've said, there's so much content out there and the biggest challenge that we all kind of face as well is knowing which content that we should actually go through because the last thing you want to do is to go on and have a look at a piece of say maybe a video or an audio and then go, hold on, you know, is this actually relatable to exactly what we want to actually learn about in regards to property development and so forth? And, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, you kind of spent that time finding, oh, that doesn't suit and so forth. And by, I guess what we wanted to do is just to try and put everything together into one space so that way it's easily accessible and, and, you know, talk from a sort of a down-to-earth kind of conversations that you and I will be having throughout this podcast to share the information that you know and to be able to ask questions as well and make it interactive. And the beautiful thing that we want to do here is that we also want to be able to engage with the audience and the listeners and to be able to also reach out and say, look, if you've got questions, send them in to us and we'll, you know, talk about it on the podcast as well. And as I'm also a student, you know, of Nungs, I also am going to be learning a lot of information as well. So hopefully we can share that with the world and also be able to 
impact as many people as well too. One other thing I want to add is that this podcast will be around half an hour per episode. I know it's a big gig but I think that's what it's going to take to be able to plant some seeds and reassure people that they can do it and every week give them some um, action steps as well. So I'd love to be really sharing some life stories of the uh, opportunities and the deals and the challenges that I'm either going through or have gone through myself, the, the stuff, my real deal, so to speak, as well as some of my clients' case studies, their challenges, their opportunities, their achievements as well. Yeah, it, it's it's fantastic. So, we really, really want to make it as, as real as possible. So, we're going to be probably interviewing as well some of your past um, guests and also people who have actually, some of your students who have actually gone through and, and been I guess been mentored by yourself as well and, and bring them on to and share their real life stories but also at the same time give you some examples of other stories of um, developments that have been done successfully and also the mistakes as well so we can all learn from that so it's, it's going to be very very practical from real practical strategies from like say Renault subdivisions no money down deals property options and, and many many more things that are related to property development that's that's what we're really really excited to share about just to recap just a bit of what you're talking about that before there Tyrone about Renault's subdivisions no money down deals property options etc there's so much when you're doing a development there is a handful of background skills that I do find that are essential. You know, I, Jenny Brown and I wrote a book called The uh, Property Investing Formula, and we went through 20, 30 different types of deals or ways you can do deals. And um, in recapping those deals, and I'm not going to go into them one by one, but my point is that part of the reason why I've done so many different types of deals is uh, when I started doing some deals, I had to figure out how to exit them or solve certain problems that I didn't anticipate at the beginning. So, you know, my, my point is that why I'm a developer and why I love development is that it integrates a lot of different problem-solving skills. Um, the, the biggest thing I love about development is that it's a leverage play. So, when you're starting out and you're doing one reno and there's nothing wrong with that you got to start somewhere right that's what i started with with the buy reno uh, rent or buy reno sell um that's where you got to start but the, the beautiful thing about property development that i love is you can scale it right and it's about one having a bigger challenge but also making more profit at the end of the day you're not doing property development as a hobby that that's really something people got to get their heads around is that you're not doing it as a hobby you need to make it profitable and not just that, is there's a lot of other things that you need to deal with, like reducing risk, finances, managing investors, managing banks, uh, managing real estate agents, sales. So th- th- there's a lot of aspects to it, which we'll obviously cover over the next uh, few weeks and months. But I, I love the game of, of development because it's very much a leverage game. So if you're wanting to, let's say, do a reno, you can make potentially 50, 100 grand on a reno. But if you're wanting to make 500 grand, a million dollars, $5 million, you need to scale. Like doing a buy, reno, sell on a, a luxury home and making 500 grand, that's very possible as well. But I'd rather you know, sell five blocks of land or 10 blocks of land, which reduces the risk because the end product, you've got multiple end products as in more stock that potentially sell you break it on down it's like having a pizza selling off the pieces at a retail price as opposed to just one um, top end two million three million dollar house 
which in terms of buyers, there's a lot less buyers for the top end product as opposed to you know, a lot more buyers at the sub 500K. So I love the property development game because it is a, a leverage game. But having said that, it was a natural progression from doing the ones buy Renault sells, buy Renault holds, the ones into twos, and then you can increase it that way. It's actually a really, really good point there that you've raised and I love that you've been talking about the problem-solving skill because that's actually the key component and also leverage as well behind property development. Having those skills in place allows you to be able to solve different things and if you take it and have a look at say, for example, different types of aspects in people's lives and I'll actually probably talk about for my example, I do a lot of problem-solving in the IT space because I'm, I'm developing and working with websites and so forth and when I look at one big project, it actually is looking at how to break that down to smaller components and then solving on how to actually put these components all back together to make it work for a great user experience for people online but also too for a person to be able to purchase through say an e-commerce store and when I actually take those components together and I look at it from a property development perspective, it's actually very, very similar but just different things in, in property so whether it be working with banks together to get the financing, whether it's actually look at the deal and see how you can structure and subdivide and so forth. It's all about problem solving. And then on top of that, as you said, leverage. Leverage is just so powerful to be able to earn a lot more because instead of working for the hour on, say, a project that I'm working on at the moment, I can actually leverage off with, say, a development where you could actually split the blocks into, you know, 10, 15, but also profit from each one. And that's what I love about property development and learning so much from you about that too. I love the game because it, it's like any game. When you're starting off with a buy, reno, sell or a one into two subdivision, there's a bit of a challenge there. It's kind of like you're playing Tetris and sometimes, excuse me, you might have a thousand square meter block, keep the house at the front, cut the back block off and finding a way to turn that into a one or $200,000 profit by being creative is really, really, really cool. You know, some people have different creative flares. They might like painting. They might like art. Some people might like uh, climbing mountains and, you know, conquering that. For, for me, it's that creativity of, okay, how do I turn this thousand square meter block into five blocks and still make 20% profit at 200K? Right, so every deal is different, and, and that's what I love about. It. There is variety, but there's also a lot of um, strategies. Just like playing chess, just like playing tennis, just like playing in, in any um, strategic game. For me, it's a game. Some people like golf, some people like swimming, some people like fishing. It's just like myself, I love fishing. Everybody's got a game, but I, I think um, yeah, when I started in this game of of property, of looking to buy 200 properties, uh, I found, oh, wow, there's actually another opportunity here, which is property development, which is a way of creating an outlet. Um, I did a deal previously where it was 600-odd square meters, kept the house at the front, and I squeezed the duplex in the back. And the thing I really liked about that was no one else could see it. And not you know, they couldn't see it. They didn't believe it was possible. And then I squeezed in a duplex at the back and not only was it possible, it was actually very, very profitable. So that, that kind of stuff, I, I love doing all day, every day. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, there are ups and downs and uh, blockages and, and you know sometimes you may not know that if you're going to get a result, but as you do more and more deals, you build up your confidence and, and get better and better at it. Also, you get a better team to advise you along the way.
Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how tough property developing is. I believe that property development is an art and a science and is it for everybody? Not really. How does it like learning anything else? Like I said to my students, it's like learning how to ride a bike. Once you know how to do it, you can do it again and again and again. What you can learn from an experienced developer that they don't teach you at school. Then we give a bit of a structure. But even just talking to agents regularly and learning how to do that is part of failing fast because we're not taught how to do that. You know, if you go to university or school, they're not geared to teach you how to buy a house. That's next and you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. We delve into the backstory of why Nyang got into property development amongst all the other possible businesses available. I believe that property development is an art and a science and is it for everybody? Not really. I think that for some people, they might just like to buy and hold and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I actually am a big fan of buy and hold as well but not buy and hold just by itself and there's a handful of reasons for that. when you're doing property development, it allows you to sell down. So what am I saying? Like I said previously, is buy some, so build some, sell some, keep some, build some, sell some, keep some. So a strategy for that could be someone who builds a duplex, sells one, and keeps one, right? So the keep one, the strategy for that might get a, a rental income, a positive cash flow, and some capital growth uh, along the way. Very similar to like Harry Triggerbuff, I should say. <laughs> um, he builds tons and tons of apartments, and he sometimes hold on, holds on quite a lot. And he, I know that he he's got like over thousands of thousands of apartments that he's holding on to himself. So it's a very very much similar strategy. And learning off people like them as well has probably been a key component. Look, absolutely. Yeah, I love his Meriton model. If any of you have read the book um, From Broke to Billionaire that I authored a few years ago, you know, we talk about Harry, High Rise Harry, and he talks about, yeah, how he's um, built thousands and thousands of apartments. Uh, I think 50, 60,000, kind of lose count now, and he holds on to two to 3,000 apartments at any one time. So that's really, really cool. Sells, builds some, sells some, keeps some. So the advantage of the property developer is it's just leverage and accelerated leverage uh, for those who are starting out you know you might have a, a couple of rental properties and you're wanting to increase or accelerate the performance it might be as simple as doing a granny flat out the back spending you know hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars to increase the rent so um, anyway the, the property development side of things is it's balancing between creativity knowledge of finance ability to create um, opportunity out of nothing. So like I said before, that house where it was 600 square meters, keep the house at the front, build a duplex at the back, that was a great opportunity to create over $100,000 that no one else saw. So that, that's really, really cool. We're you know, able to, to leverage that through my understanding of the zoning, understanding of the marketplace and, and understanding finance to be able to create $100,000 profit, essentially no money down as well, which we'll talk about at another stage. But I think um, in terms of being a property developer, it's a big way to let out the creative opportunity. Um, some people you know, on 1,000 square meters or 1,200 square meters might put 50 apartments on that. It's a form of creation. I think manifesting it is a big part of human nature, what people want to create and what people want to leave behind as a legacy as well. I'm working on a, a childcare center uh, in Melbourne there, which is really cool. It's 84 spots. We're going through the process of getting that approved. It's not quite approved yet, but you know, I know that if I can get that approval through, flick it on, make a few hundred thousand dollars, that's going to be leaving a legacy for the next developer 
create a childcare centre and support you know, 84 families, so to speak, uh, moving forward. So that, that kind of stuff is, is really, really cool. Every time we develop, we're creating new houses for people. Uh, I'm working on uh, another, a couple of builds where we're squeezing uh, a low set house onto 400 square metres. And I say squeezing because we'll be able to have five tenants on that property. Whereas before, that property was only one house. Once we're done, we'll have two houses with potentially five tenants in each. Call it 10 tenants. I've increased the amount of uh, tenancies from one to 10. So you know, another nine tenancies. So that, that kind of stuff is really, really cool. And yes, because I'm taking the risk, because I've put my creative energy, put my money on the line, I will get rewarded for that. But that's uh, definitely a, a part of the process that has to work as well. Wow, that's amazing. I I love to be able to hear more about that story shortly as well too. And I know I know the progress a little bit about the childcare behind it too. So lots of amazing things to share. I guess the other thing that people probably get stuck on is now that they sort of understand why should they consider becoming a property developer. There are a lot of things that people firstly have blockages as we call them or things that hold them back from taking the next step because it's easy to talk about it. It's great to be able to go and dream and say, look, you know, I think I can make 100K from, you know, putting a duplex at the back of a property and so forth. But then it's like, okay, how do we do that? What 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 do we need to look at? How do we educate ourselves and so forth? But then there's always the blockages such as, you know, I don't think I've got enough money. I don't have enough time, knowledge. I've got fear what that's holding me back, I'm lack of confidence. Let's talk a little bit about those kind of things because I think it's it's important to address these right at the beginning. Each of those topics themselves, I could spend a day addressing and doing workshops on as I do in my mentoring programs. But look, lack of money, that's something I hit earlier on in the game. Like I said before, bought my first property, ran out of money, had to find other ways to reach my goals, right? And at the end of the day, it's just another skill. If people are willing to learn how to uh, get money partners, how to get joint venture partners, how to do joint ventures and have people fund their projects, it's actually very much possible. You know? and, and there's a whole stack of money out there. If you think about people in their self-managed super fund, even the amount of self-managed super fund money that's been lost, that unclaimed, if you've uh, recently seen some of the uh, media about that, how the uh, ATO is basically putting their hand out, to uh, collect that money. <laughs> um, but there, there's so much money out there that's looking for a home. At this point in time, you know, bank um, interest rates, if you look, put your money in a deposit, you're getting r- roughly 2% or less on that money. And you know, people who are going into pension phase with their super self-managed super funds, um, they don't want to be getting 2%. If they've got a million bucks and they're earning 20 grand a year on that, they can't live on that, right? So my point is that it's not a lack of money. It's just a lack of knowledge of how to get that money and how to manage that money and have that joint ventures work for you. And, and that's pretty much what I had to learn in my early 20s is how to do joint venture deals, no money down deals because I ran out of money. And now it's become a skill set that is teachable. I've had many, many of my clients do deals, no money down. And and there's a a few principles definitely that you have to learn on how to manage that. But if you find a great deal that's profitable for everybody, the lack of money should not be the problem. It's interesting that we raise that because I think, and and just from my experience, because I'm also involved in a few development deals at the moment with actually a working partner. So, I'm I'm kind of the money partner because I've got access to investors and I can actually find and, and source the funds to be able to do it. But I think I also too had initially when I first started going, gosh, I don't have the money to do it. But then when you think about it and you flip the coin side around and you go making a win-win situation in these deals, 
the money actually just comes to you. You become an attraction of money to be able to fund these deals because it's so profitable for everyone. And I, I totally agree with you on what you just said there. It's the money will come when you actually find the deal. Finding the deal and also having the skills to structure the arrangement so it's attractive and safe for the investor as well. You know, at the moment, I'm on a, a capital raise with, with investors for my 30-lot subdivision and it's just a process of figuring out what the offer is, what the opportunity is, how to return their money, how to make their money safe and protect it and at the same time prove your ability as a developer. And, and I'm not saying everybody out there needs to go and raise $2 million. I'm saying raising 50 grand, raising 200 grand, it's, it's, it's a process. Like I said to my students, it's like learning how to ride a bike. Once you know how to do it, you can do it again and again and again. But I think the, just the biggest thing that people don't know is they just it's not learnt or taught in schools or, or university necessarily. You know, when, when you we go back to the source of education and the marketplace, universities, schools, their structure and their premise is has been different. Uh, they've been taught, people have been taught, you and I have been taught at schools to you know, get educated, get a good job, you know, create that financial security that way. We haven't been taught the rules of money. We haven't been taught the abilities to be able to do joint ventures or no money down deals. If you think about banks, they want you to essentially go guarantor on the loan, put your butt on the line, put as much deposit down as you can to protect them, right? And this is the system that we're in. And so it's looking at looking at the system sideways and looking at it in a different way. Um, even the banks, you know, they say, oh, your house is an asset <laughs> and, and they're not lying to you about saying it's, it's an asset. They just don't tell you whose asset it really is. It's the bank's asset, right? You try not making your payments for, for six months. So my point is that, yeah, it's a system that's been designed to constrain us in a certain way. And, and if you're wanting to break that system, i.e. leave the workforce or become financially independent, um, yeah, you've got to look at different ways because the system is designed for us as human beings to not leave the workforce until we're 60, 65. If you think about it, you know, the, the super self-managed super funds don't allow you to access that pension phase until that time. So essentially, they're wanting you to uh, work for as long as you can to make them rich, essentially, because the longer you have a mortgage, uh, the longer you're making the bank's payments or payments and making them rich. So that, that's why I'm a big fan of reducing debt wherever you can and, and making my money work uh, as hard as possible. It's really good that you raise that point because I'm pretty sure a majority of the population and people who are probably listening to this podcast trying to find a way out of their working situation and um, I guess a lot of people have you know families that they've got to provide money for to support their living, they've got children, they've also got you know houses, a mortgage to repay, cars and so forth and they go, gosh, you know, it sounds great where you are right now and young and what you're doing and so forth but how can I actually do this because firstly, I don't have the money, I don't have the time to do all these kind of things. I'm like stuck, you know, I'm, I'm fearful of actually jumping into these things and I guess these are the important points that we're raising up because these are very common and real life situations that people are actually stuck in and this is why I think it's fantastic that we're talking about this topic right now. Exactly. I know I've gone on a little bit about that lack of money and finding money partners and the belief of why and how you can get money partners and even those other topics, yeah, like I said, is just, they're just huge topics. That's confidence in itself. There's a lot of exercises uh, that people can do to build that confidence. Uh, oftentimes, 
the beliefs that they have are limiting and they don't know that they're lim limiting. You know, people say, oh, you need money to make money or you can't do this or you can't do that or that's illegal. So, you know, I've been in the property game long enough to know what's legal, what's not illegal. And, and that's why I need a, a good team around me as well in terms of solicitors, accountants, town planners to know what's really, really possible. And, and when you've got mentors and people surrounding you um, who've done it before, I think that's a other thing as well. Um, we talk about um, the five people you spend most of your time with will be, if you think about it, the five people you spend most time with, the average of their income will be the average of your income uh, as well in, in the next three to five years. So my point is that when I was starting out, I didn't know it at the time because I was going to a lot of seminars and, and the people there, one, they were in their 40s and 50s, right? I was 20, 21 going to seminars day and night, four nights a week because I was just you know, sucking up this information like a sponge. And it turned out that most of the people at those seminars who were, I suppose, egging me on and encouraging me to grow forth and multiply was uh, they, were, they were in their 40s and 50s and they were millionaires in their own right. Um, and I just didn't realize at the time, that's what I was doing inadvertently, was associating with wealthy people because I was just looking for people who, one, were generous enough to share their information, who were doing the do, walking the walk, but also you know, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. So it was, yeah, it was one of those things that I learned along the way as a beginner that the people you spend most of your time with will determine your income. Um, and oftentimes we're not in control of that because at work, you know, if you're earning 50, 100 grand a year and the people around you are your work colleagues and they're earning the same money, you wonder why you're not making more money. And I guess this is very encouraging, especially for listeners and myself and people who actually want to go through this process as well as associating with us just by listening to this podcast, just by looking for the information, educating yourself, you're already associating yourself with very successful people and you know, hopefully we can take you on that journey because we're going to be covering a lot of things about mindset, we're going to be covering things about um, how to focus, we're going to be looking at leverage. There's so many topics that we're going to be covering and this is the beautiful thing about having these conversations. But also, I want to mention as well is that you've talked about in the past and I think you've also mentioned a few mentors have said this is failing fast. Failing fast, you know, in this in this journey is, is very, very important. And I've, it's funny that I'm saying that because it's kind of contradictory because we've been taught as we've gone through school not to fail. We've got to make sure we, we you know, pass that exam you know, make sure that things are working correctly, pass everything, you know, and don't cheat, <laughs> don't copy from your neighbor. But everything that we're going to be doing in property development is actually the opposite. So maybe let's elaborate a little bit more about what does failing fast mean? It may seem a bit contradictory to what they've taught us, they've taught us in school, so to not make mistakes. Look, I want to let people know that I make a lot of mistakes and very, very regularly, you know, whether it's every week, every couple of days, every month. And some of the mistakes I make are not small mistakes. I'll even share one just to kind of give you a reality check because there's always going to be people listening on this podcast with the two words of yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, right? So I want to put those yeah, buts on the line um, and get them clear so that we're all on the same page. Um, I'll, I'll show you a quick story and we'll talk about failing fast is that, you know, when you play this game, um, Earlier in the year, I signed a contract for a property, signed a contract and I went unconditional. And what that meant was essentially I was committed to the contract and paid a small deposit around $10,000 and was committed to settling the property in about three months time, right? And, and we had a long settlement, which was great. But 
a few months into it, I just started to get this feeling that it wasn't going to work for, for some reason. And, you know, essentially I had to back out with the contract. Uh, I'd negotiate an exit with the owner. They weren't happy, but they were happy to take my deposit. And, and I dropped roughly 10 grand a deposit plus some advertising costs, right? So firstly, I do not encourage anybody to do that. I am a property professional and I buy and sell properties for a living. It's my business. But I dropped $10,000, $12,000 on a deal. And most people go, oh my God, that's a lot of money. Um, but for me, it's, sometimes I have to do that to get deals off the market, to be able to get deals going um, and be able to take small risks along the way. For the average everyday investor, I don't suggest you do anything like that whatsoever. But small, you got to make, learn how to make small mistakes along the way that don't cost you a lot of money at all. So I'll give you a couple of examples of failing fast. One is picking up the phone and ringing five real estate agents. Right In our courses, we talk about what to say, what questions to ask them. We give a bit of a structure. But even just talking to agents regularly and learning how to do that is part of failing fast because we're not taught how to do that. You know, if you go to university or school, they're not geared to teaching you how to buy a house. <laughs> they're teaching you how to become a professional, how to get a job, how to get a career. So that's a good example. The, the other good example of failing fast is putting in offers, right? Putting in low ball written offers to real estate agents. So if they're asking 550000 finding a motivated seller and putting an offer of 450000 right? So um, things that don't cost you a lot of money, but may cost a little bit of time, a little bit of energy. Obviously, you need some expertise on how to do that, and that's where our trainings come in. But you know, those are examples of failing fast and, and learning quickly about what's happening in the marketplace. And that's great because these are little small steps. You don't necessarily need to go out and buy a property, as you said, and then lose you know money on it. You can actually just do these little things by just simply picking up the phone. And I, I've done this as well. I've actually called up multiple real estate agents and just asked them and, and put in offers and you know send them in and, and getting rejected. You know that's part of being the process and, and learning as well because rejection is actually makes you stronger to the next one. You know I used to be actually a real estate agent as well and I used to door knock and I'd have to do at least 50, 60 door knocks to be able to get someone who actually opened the door to me and even talk to me. And even then they'd say no because they're not looking to sell a property. So you know it's it's all part of that process and. Sometimes the more that you do, the more that you fail, the stronger you become. And that's what I love about, you know, this conversation that we're having about that. So it's it's amazing to be able to think further from there. I think the last thing I want to probably cover is maybe before we actually wrap up this episode is to talk a little bit about the think big start small process because you know, it's great to be able to think, okay, I want to build this massive building and make millions and millions of dollars, but that's not where you start. It's, you know, if you're starting as a property developer, you've got to think big but start small. So, let's talk a little bit about that now. Look, I think, yeah, that's very much a fundamental principle that I learned along the way is think big and start small. And what does that mean? So, it could mean some of you might have dreams of doing a high-rise building. I know that was definitely one of my dreams at at one stage it's probably not on my dreams right now i'm looking at other things like you know building a a mcdonald's or a shopping center or something like that and you need dreams and there's nothing wrong with dreams and there's nothing wrong with goals as well but i think you got to start somewhere and start somewhere close to your reality you know so uh, everybody wants to to be the winner everybody wants to show off and say look make your parents proud make your family proud but you got to start small and, and learn the steps along the way so 
I think a couple of things like even looking at if, if you haven't started out looking at buying a buy reno sell or a buy reno hold where you can create 50 to 100 grand worth of equity or profit right or you might look at a way of how can I increase my rental income um, passive income by 200 500 dollars a week set an achievable goal because that's what you'll find is that if you set a big goal of saying making let's say you know a million dollars of net passive income which is a great and, and really exciting goal to have you got to learn the skills along the way so you might just start off with increasing your rental passive income by just ten thousand dollars a year of 200 bucks a week and maybe just extending your house at the back with a granny flat that'll teach you some skills on construction and development build pricing certification rules and regulations sewer water storm water those basic things or just building one house you know buying a block of land at a discounted price building one house um, and having maybe building a duplex inside of it and what i mean by that it might be a, a, a one building with two tenancies or five tenancies if you have to build your passive income so my point is that think big and start small is absolutely critical that's where i've been that's where i started out because you really just don't want to be exposing yourself um, a lot, especially in this marketplace, finance is quite difficult to get. So even doing a one into three may be uh, hard to get finance from a residential finance point of view, maybe even impossible unless you're paying expensive interest rates. Um, yeah, and, and starting small, getting in the game, building the relationships with the bank, with the builders, with the finance brokers, with the engineers, with the town planners, because that allows you to organically grow because we're all so impatient about you know making the next million tomorrow we want to get rid of our jobs we want to get rid of our boss we want to take get rid of the stress that's you know which it might be artificial it might be real i don't know uh, we might have debts that we need to pay off um, and commitments that we, we just want to shrug off and, and move on with but you know what you don't want to yeah essentially shoot yourself in the foot by trying to grow too big. I've seen too many developers, even some of my clients who have come to me and they say, look, I want to make $5 million in the next one to two years. I say, well, look, learn to walk before you can run. Learn to walk before you can run and learn how to walk well uh, because you want to be able to survive all marketplaces. That, that's a big thing I've learned in the GFC is, yes, sometimes I'll sell my land at a small discount just so I can move stock and then I can – keep going again and again and again. Oftentimes, greed is really what hurts people and, and they're just not aware of it and they're not able to control it because they're not aware of it. So thinking big and start small is a great principle there, Tyrone. Thanks for reminding us of it. Sometimes we're going to take it for granted because that's where you know we, we just move on with, with other exciting stories and, and topics. Well, Love everything that we've shared today. We've kind of, you know, I think this big topic here is, is really the mindset and, and thinking big and starting small. And in the consecutive episodes that we're going to be putting out shortly as well too is going to be building on top of this. You know, we'd be talking about money rules. We're going to be talking about, you know, the different ways of actually developing all, all the different strategies that we've been talking about, you know, in a high level approach today. We're going to be actually sharing in our future episodes. So, what I would suggest for any of the listeners out there is to actually start here. This is going to be pretty much a step-by-step -step, um, throughout. So we're going to be building on each and every one of these episodes and, and elaborating on and talking about the strategies behind each and every one. But before we do wrap up today, we're going to actually give you, as, as we said in the podcast, every session we're going to give you like an action step or an assignment at the end. So today, we're going to be actually giving you your first assignment 
And uh, Nyang, do you want to share with them what their first assignment will be? I love it. I love it. I'm laughing because uh, I bet you, I bet money that if you listen to other podcasts, no one's going to be giving you assignments to do. I'm not sure why, but um, I suppose I really want to um, yeah, give you an opportunity to hold yourself accountable, right? So obviously, we're not able to speak to you necessarily personally and hold you accountable. You're going to have to learn how to keep yourself accountable. Um, but yeah, I reckon you know, one of the goals they should do, and Tyrone, you can embellish on this, is write down three major goals that you want to achieve, right? Let's say in the next 90 days and the next 12 months. So I think that's really cool. Maybe start with a 12-month goal and then work back to the next 90 days. I believe that 90 days is really, really cool uh, because it is more uh, swallowable. You can see it. You can actually see how realistic it is. 12 months, sometimes we can be a bit dreamy. We might go, oh, I want to make $100,000 in property when you, know, you, you might just be starting out and buying your first property. There's nothing wrong with having those kind of bigger goals. Um, but you got to base it in reality of what's achievable right now. So I'd say, yeah, write down three major goals, uh, maybe financially, uh, maybe, yeah, financially you want to make 50 grand, 100 grand in the next 12 months or you want to increase your passive income by two to five grand a month over the next uh, six to 12 months and then roll it back on the next 90 days um, of what's possible and the actual action steps. It might be things like go see your um, bank to refinance your property, increase your equity, or it might be sell down one of your toys that you've been accumulating in the garage. You might might have three boats that are just sitting there and you're only using one or none of them. So you've got to break it on down so that you're taking smaller action steps to move closer to your goal. It might be selling down one of your properties that are not performing to get the equity out and or reducing the amount of debt that you have so you can go again. Or it might be you know, finalizing an arrangement that you have with someone you owe money to or someone that owes money to you. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be diving into money rules. Money rules is not something that's taught in school. So when, when people make a lot of money, um, they don't necessarily know where the boundaries are. One of the reasons a lot of people aren't able to build a good portfolio. Oftentimes, we lose a lot of time wasting our time doing things that are frivolous or you can do things more efficiently. How to use debt to your advantage? Using debt to grow income versus um, using debt on depreciable items which don't generate you any money. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.